to the inaugural edition of Conversations and Connections, a podcast from the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. I'm Stuart Burson, the prevention coordinator for the agency. And when we decided to do a podcast, we were wanting to, we were thinking about all the things we wanted to talk about. So over the next, uh, well, the duration of this podcast, every episode, we're really hoping that we're going to educate and inform and have good conversations with uh, our our fellow um, employees here at the agency on what they do and the services we provide. And we'll talk about issues uh, affecting domestic violence and sexual assault, as well as prevention and support services, uh, services ranging from our safe house. Uh, and also we'll be talking about current events affecting everything that we do here at the agency. So when we were thinking about who to have on our very first podcast, uh, it kind of made sense to have our executive director, Heather Carty, on with us. So Heather, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, Let's talk about just last year, we celebrated 40 years of service. That's right. And uh, I'll that's the first thing I want to do. I really want to go back and take a look at how the Family Crisis Center of East Texas, how did it all begin? How did we get to where we are today? How did it all start? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So in 1979, there were two women in Nacogdoches County who saw a need for an agency like ours. And they used their own homes as safe houses and their own telephones as crisis hotlines. And, you know, during that time frame, there were a lot of agencies like ours that were popping up throughout the state as well as the nation. And um, in our line of work, that's referred to as the movement. And that's just what it was. It was a real grassroots movement to assist battered women. We started out as the Women's Shelter of East Texas because that's what we did. We provided shelter services to women We created a DBA um, several years back because as our agency has grown and changed and evolved, we realized that we serve more than just women. We serve children as well as men, and we provide more than just shelter services. We provide an array of services to survivors here at the agency. So um, our DBA is Janelle Grum Family Crisis Center of East Texas, but we just go by Family Crisis Center for short now. All right. Um and that's something I think a lot of people don't realize, that it's more than just women. And that was a good thing that I guess we um, are known now as the Family Crisis Center, because we do serve right. men. We do serve children right. uh, and, and all of that. And I think also kind of going hand in hand with that, I think a lot of times when people hear about the Family Crisis Center, and I don't know, I, I may be wrong, but just from what I've gathered, uh, when I go out into the community, people think of two things. They think of the safe house. Correct. And they think of the thrift stores. Yes, yes. And which are all very good. And we'll talk about those. But we do so many things besides that. Uh, right. Let's go talk a little bit about all of the services that we provide and that are available to people who come through our doors. Sure. Um, So we serve nine counties here in East Texas, um, which is a pretty big service area. Um, But it doesn't matter what someone's geographical origination is, they can receive services from our agency. And as you mentioned, we are most known for our emergency shelter or safe house. And it's a 39 bed facility. Um, And we do house women, children as well as men. 
in that um, in our safe house. We also operate a 24-hour crisis hotline. So individuals can call our agency anytime and talk to a staff person here. We don't outsource that hotline. And all of our outreach offices, uh, those telephones are forwarded to our hotline at the end of the day. So we're, you're always able to talk to a warm body if you call one of our phone lines. We also provide an array of advocacy services here at the Family Crisis Center, personal advocacy as well as legal advocacy, where our advocates work with clients on protective order applications. They provide court accompaniment um, and referral services, just connecting them to other services within our communities to help them move through their situations. We have a strong sexual assault program. And our advocate that is over that works specifically with our sexual assault survivors. Their situations sometimes are a little bit different because many times they will undergo a medical exam or SANE exam. SANE is an acronym for sexual assault nurse examiner. And that's just a forensic exam where evidence is obtained to be used in the investigation and prosecution of the sexual assault. So we have a a whole program and advocate committed to that programming. We have a child advocate on staff that works with our children, making sure that they have the tools and resources they need to be successful, um, such as um, school uniforms, um, school supplies. Um, Our advocate um, that works with our children also coordinates events around the holidays to make sure that they have um, those experiences that we often take for granted with our own children and grandchildren. We also provide counseling here at the agency. We have several counselors on staff, as well as contract counselors. Um, We have a self-sufficiency program, and our advocates through that program really work with our clients to help them obtain jobs, housing, transportation, those things that are really going to allow them to function on their own without their abusive partner. We have an attorney on staff, and he is able to work with our clients to help them um, through their civil matters such as divorce, child custody, things of that nature. We're also able to provide medical advocacy to our clients. We have a nurse who comes to our safe house on a regular basis, um, just connecting our clients to medical resources within our communities. Um, We also provide support groups as well. And we have a transitional housing program, which is an extension of our residential program, but our clients can live there for up to 18 months rent-free. Um, So, so much of what we do is reactive. Someone has already been a victim by the time they come to our agency for services. Um, So we do have um, our prevention program as well as community awareness. And about five years ago, we implemented a battering intervention and prevention program. And so that program is um, a program where we work with offenders of family violence and, and truly allows us to take a holistic approach to the issue of family violence because statistics show it takes a woman an average of seven times of leaving to leave her abusive partner for good. And so through our battering intervention and prevention program, we can work with those perpetrators of violence and hopefully change their mindsets through that programming and um, reduce and prevent the incidences of family violence. Okay. So, uh, Talking a little bit about just obviously – the, the services we provide are important to the community. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I guess my next question would be in rural East Texas, where um, 
I'm trying to think the way to put this. You know, when we do prevention, we talk about gender socialization and how society kind of raises us to, you know, men are supposed to be the breadwinner and the, 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 the man that goes out there and works and the woman's place is in the home. Uh, How prevalent is that in East Texas? And does that interfere with the services that we provide? Does that make yeah, it does. And and I think, you know, that belief system and those mindsets are still prevalent um, here in, in East Texas. I mean, we're pretty rural. And, you know, many people believe that women have their place and, and they need to maintain that. Um, but, you know, I feel like we've made significant strides in the last several years to overcome some of that. Some of that's through our community education and public awareness where people actually get to meet staff that work from the Family Crisis Center and maybe even some of the clients and people that we've helped and know that, you know, we're, um, you know, we're not just a bunch of man haters up here, which I've, I've had someone tell me that actually before, you know, y'all are just a bunch of man haters. Um, so, you know, I feel like we've, we've made significant strides and overcome a lot of that, but, you know, some of those belief systems are so very deep rooted in this culture. So we still have a lot of work to do here sure. at the Family Crisis Center. Sure, sure. Um, how have, <clears throat> now, how, how long have you been with the agency? Um, now? a little over nine years. So nine years ago, when you first started compared to now, sure. uh, yeah. how have attitudes, and I guess it kind of maybe kind of goes hand in hand with the last thing we talked about, attitudes about domestic violence and sexual assault, how have they changed over the years in regards to media coverage and social media and, right. and, and everything. What changes have you seen? Oh, it's been significant in the nine plus years that I've worked here for the agency. Um, you see so much more in the news and on social media about family violence and sexual assault. You see stories about celebrities, uh, professional athletes, and, and others that are victims of those those crimes, um, as well as perpetrators of those crimes. So I feel like, you know, people are, are more willing to talk about their experiences. Um, you know, in, in 2017, when Alyssa Milano um, started the Me Too movement or, or posted, you know, uh, hashtag Me Too, anyone right. who's been um, sexually harassed or, or, you know, sexually assaulted, post hashtag me too. I mean, that, that was huge. And I think that gave survivors that little bit of confidence they needed to, to come forward and say, you know, yes, I've, I've been a victim and I don't want this to happen to others. There's been a lot of documentaries that have come out as well um, on the topic. So I think it's all a good thing just to educate the general public that these things do happen and that it's, it's prevalent. Sure. Sure. Um, Providing the the services that that we offer, it can't. We don't do it alone. We work with so many different agencies. Yes. Uh, yes. In in all of the counties that we serve, how important is that relationship, and how does all of that fit together? Sure. Yeah. It, those partnerships and relationships are vital to what we do, and so important for the survivors that we serve. Um, I would say a large number of the referrals um, of clients coming to our agency come from law enforcement. So it's really important for us to maintain a good relationship with all the law enforcement in the area, just making sure that they're aware of our agency and how we can be a resource to them when they do encounter survivors. Um, We have other partnerships 
um, for mental health services, drug and alcohol addiction, um, partnerships within the school districts, child protective services, um, the health departments within the area. <clears throat> oh, bless you. That's, that's quite all right. <laughs> Goodness, I'm getting choked up here talking about that. Um, and, and just an array of, of other agencies that we work with just to really help our clients because oftentimes those that we serve aren't just dealing with family violence issues or sexual assault issues. They may have health issues, mental health issues, drug or alcohol addiction. So those community resources are so vital as we are moving our clients into that self-sufficient mm-hmm. life. Yeah, sure. Um, Heather, you know, 2020 has been a crazy time. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> to, 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 say, to say the least. <laughs> uh, how And, you know... COVID has affected so many businesses and uh, our economy and everything like that. Uh, how has COVID affected the agency, the Family Crisis Center of East Texas, as far as our ability to provide services and to meet the needs right. that are out yeah. there? Uh, obviously, that's been a challenge. It has. How, how, have we, how, how yeah. has that been going? Oh, well, um, you know, we've had to just really rethink the way we do everything from our, our safe house or emergency shelter to outreach services to our thrift stores to our prevention to our battering intervention groups. Like all of that, we've had to rethink and modify the way we do provide those services. Um, our safe house never closed. It remained open um, the entire time during during the shutdown and and other bumps along the way through the pandemic. Um, but we've just had to figure out how to do things differently. Um, you know, of course, we're social distancing, we're wearing our mask, um, we have the plexiglass barriers put in place in our outreach offices, as well as our safe house to protect staff and clients. And we also have those in our thrift stores. We've um, put in hand washing stations in our stores. Um, We're doing the health screenings. Both our staff are screening themselves daily. We're screening clients as they come in to receive services as well. You know, just the the same things that everyone else is doing. Um, We're also um, working for our staff to be able to provide more and more services remotely, such as counseling and advocacy services, uh, because much of that can be provided remotely. So we're really trying to give our staff the tools and resources and training they need to be able to provide some of those services. So it's kind of a new way of thinking. And, you know, somebody asked me, you know, you've, you've made this big investment in, in all of this equipment for remote services. Is this something that you'll do long term? And I think it makes a lot of sense for us to be able to provide services in a variety of ways because our clients do have so many challenges, transportation being one of those. You know, not everybody can afford gas to to come to our outreach office once a week for counseling services. So if they could take part in a counseling session remotely, I mean, that's going to be huge for them. So, um, you know, I I think it's just a new way of thinking and a new way of doing business, but it's worked well for us. Our numbers were down a little bit, but they're continuing to increase. Yeah. And, you know, I think we'll be back where we were with the number of clients that we were seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, how have, how have you and, um, Zoom gotten along? 
I think everybody all of a sudden it was baptism by fire. Oh, I it think. was for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I um, mean, not only us, but I think every everyone in the yes, country. Yes. Uh, yeah. Had to get used to that. Yeah. No, it's been great. I, I think it's um, it's a really neat tool, and I love how it's being used both both um, professionally and personally now. Just a great way to connect with other yeah. people, and you know, still see their faces. I mean, you may not be in the same room, but. Um, and, you know, so many people have gotten really creative with the, the game knots and the happy hours mm-hmm. and things like that via Zoom. So sure. I, I just I think it's a it's really neat. And kind of going back, I think a lot of the things that we've had to adjust to not only us, but other businesses, I kind of feel like that's just going to be that's going to stick with us. Even after the I pandemic agree. is over, yes. I think all the stores are going to always now have curbside pickup and everything. I think it's just introduced a new way of doing business. It has. And And, I mean, you know, as a society, we were ready for that. I mean, the technology and everything was in place. So, um, you know, I guess all of the the closet hermits, this is like their dream, you know, (laughs) to Uh, not have to leave, to stay home. There you go. Um, So the Family Crisis Center, we are a nonprofit. And so that means we rely on grants and donations and right. volunteers. Uh, can we talk just a little bit about that? Like, how does an organization like the Family Crisis Center, being a nonprofit, how do we get the funds to pay salary yeah. and to buy equipment and to and to do all these services and provide all these services to our clients? Yeah, great question. And so I feel like I wear two hats. You know, I, I wear the hat of, and I'm not a social worker, but, you know, kind of that aspect of things. And then I have to put on my business hat every now and then and say, okay, how are we going to pay for all of these things? Um, so we um, have a variety of sources that we do receive income from as an organization. The majority of our income actually comes from our thrift stores. Uh, profits made um, through the sales of, of donated goods mm-hmm. through our stores. We also get state and federal grant funding from a variety of sources um, as well. And then, of course, we're dependent on donations, monetary donations. We have some churches that you know give to us monthly. Um, we do a little bit of fundraising. Um, we've, uh, we typically send out Christmas cards, um, in the holiday season. And then, um, as you mentioned, we did our purple gay low last year, um, to celebrate our 40th anniversary. And, and that also served as a fundraiser for our organization. So um, a variety of sources when it comes to actual income for our agency. Um, but we're also dependent on those in-kind donations as well. Donations of household items for our thrift stores, as well as donations of items for, our safe house and our outreach offices, um, you know, any sort of clothing donations, um, food, non-perishable food items, the list just goes on and on, um, you know, diapers for our kiddos and our safe house, sure. you know, just always, always in need of, of those donations. And then volunteers are um, important to our agency as well. And being able to provide those those free services, and we also have a robust internship program as well here at the agency. So those interns are always great to have each semester here. <laughs> um, I want to finally talk a little bit about you know I think everyone who works here they wouldn't be here if they didn't have a heart for the thing for for the services that we do and for the services that that uh that we we provide 
And I want to just talk a little bit about how you got here. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, you, you you know you just mentioned you're not a social worker. You don't have a social work background. Nope. Uh, I do find it. Um, I don't know if I want to say amusing, but very interesting <laughs> uh, that your degree is in agriculture it of is. all things. Yes. And I guess uh, uh, how did how did how that did, happen? How did that happen? Yeah, that's exactly. a great question. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was. In, in high school, I was really involved in FFA. And, you know, as we used to say, it's not just cows, sows, and plows. There's more to <laughs> FFA than that. And and there is a leadership component um, to that programming. And, and so that always appealed to me. Um, any sort of leadership opportunities appealed mm-hmm. um, to me at a very young age. And so I, you know, pursued those things in high school. And because of my involvement in FFA, I received uh, scholarships to um, to major in ag from SFA. And, okay. um, yeah, there's a beeping sound. We're trying to figure out where it's coming from. <laughs> um, so, um, I received scholarships to major in ag at Stephen F. Austin and, um, did that. My minor was communications and, um, you know, really pursued the, the public relations and marketing through that minor. When I was about to graduate college, I realized that I needed a, a job. And the Chamber of Commerce was hiring here in Lufkin. And so I applied for a position there. And that's where I got my start, I guess, in nonprofit management, um, was working for the Chamber of Commerce. And um, through working at the Chamber, I was able to complete a four-year program for nonprofit management. And really, it just gave me a great foundation for um, being able to pursue that. Um, I became involved in the community and actually served um, on the board of directors for this agency for a time. And when the executive director that was there decided to leave, I was approached about serving as interim executive director for six months. So did that, and it was a good fit for the agency as well as for me. And yeah. so the rest is history. Um, to the, do, does the ag skills ever... Uh come into do you ever get to uh you know every now and then more on a personal level than professional but um you know it's a it's a great skill set to have to to you know be diversified and and know how to do a variety of of things so well don't don't ever let your degree shoehorn you into one thing absolutely i I guess absolutely yeah and Um, you know Back 15, 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of training for nonprofit management. There's more of that out there now, and I, I think actual degree programs you can get. But, you know, back then, you just kind of had to jump in and yeah. and get your feet wet. So, right. um, But I guess that's the best way to learn. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Heather, I appreciate it. Thank you Thank so you. much. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited to get this uh uh, go down this new road of yeah, podcasting. Yeah, this is exciting. Uh, Very it's, exciting. It'll be interesting to see to see where it takes us. And thank you for listening. I appreciate this. Uh, if you would like to contact us, if you feel like you are in need of our services, or if you know of someone who needs our services, uh, you can, first of all, email us at familycrisiscenter at fccet.com. Uh, you can also call our 24-hour hotline. That is 1-800-828-7233. Uh, 800-828-7233. Again, thank you for listening. And remember, be the voice, if not for you, for someone else.